Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you on this beautiful day, whether you're at uh, Speedway or you're at Lenexa or you're watching online. We're so delighted that you are here. A shout out to Charlie Nichols. Uh, raise your hand, Charlie. Uh, got baptized last week at the age of 86. It's never too late. Yeah. Woo. So I want to begin uh, today um, by letting you know that a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of working with George Gallup Jr. of the famous Gallup Poll Organization, and we partnered together with the University of Pennsylvania to discern the spiritual state of the union. We took a, uh, a Gallup poll, uh, the spiritual state of the union, to determine sort of the spiritual temperature within America. And we embedded into the polling uh, 30 spiritual indicators uh, related to how people think, uh, their beliefs, their spiritual practices, and ultimately their virtues. And we listed them, and we put them in order of strength to weakness, and then we divided out uh, those who claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ to those who did not claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and we looked at the results, and this is what we discovered. We discovered that there's a lot of things different in the list, but the number one struggle, the one at the very bottom... For non-believers in Jesus was exactly the same one in America for those who profess to be followers of Jesus. Yeah, the same exact struggle. The spiritual state of America comes down to this one word. Are you ready for it? The word is, let's put it on the screen. Say it with me. Gentleness. Apparently, there is something in the drinking water in America that causes people people to be raving lunatics. Yeah. And we got to get to the bottom of that. Wouldn't it be great? Cause we all struggle with this. I confess I struggle with it. Wouldn't it be great if we could just take a pill, you know, and make it go away. That would be great, right? It's interesting. As we open up the Bible today, it actually has something to do with taking a pill, believe it or not. We're continuing in our series today, How to Really Love Someone. For a follower of Jesus, this is one of the most important questions that you can ask, and not only ask, but learn the skill of how to treat the people around you in such a way that you are loving them. And what we learn pretty early on is that a follower of Jesus has an advantage over the person who is not. Why? Because the scripture tells us that when you trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that the Holy Spirit of God simultaneous became an indweller in you. The power of God is within you. So that when you yield your life to the will of the God, God found in his word, it stirs the nutrients of the spirit within you. And eventually what's going to pop on the outward part of your life is fruit. And that fruit is called love. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, a very famous passage of Scripture, uh, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit is love. When the Spirit stirs within you, it increases your ability and your capacity to love those around you so that when they bite into your life, what they get is the sweet taste of love. In that passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this uh, book, gives us, following love as the primary fruit, Eight descriptions of what love looks like practically when lived out. And one of those descriptions, one of those characteristics is gentleness, truth. A person who learns how to love 
is also a gentle person to the people around them. And yet, here we are today, it's the thing that many of us struggle with the most. The word that Paul would have written in Galatians 5.23 is the Greek word pros, which is gentle, or prostis, which is gentleness. And when the readers of his day would have read that word, they would have conjured up a sense that this word has a medical background to it, that it's a medical term that actually refers to medicine. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that whenever you have um, an, an ailment uh, and you go to find medicine to fix what ails you, that you turn it over and look at the potential side effects and that the side effects are actually greater than the thing you're struggling with? You know, you've got the sniffles, so you go to get some pills to help you with the sniffles and it says the potential side effects are upset stomach, you know, diarrhea, you'll grow a third eye, potentially have a heart attack, and suicide ideations, and the potential of death. You're like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work it out with my sniffles all by myself, you know, forget this medicine. Not with PROS. PROS is a mild medication. And what this means is when you take this medicine, it's not only effective in overcoming what ails you, but at the same time, it doesn't upset your stomach. A gentle person is someone who is in your life that can come alongside of you and help you grow as a person, challenge you, and even confront you so you can become the person that God always envisioned you becoming. But the way they do it results in not only effectiveness, but they don't upset your stomach as they do it. Yeah. This takes this concept of being a pill to a whole nother level, doesn't it? So with that uh, laid down as a definition and a vision or an idea of this word, I'm going to put up a biblical definition of gentleness. I'm going to invite you to say it out loud with me three times throughout the message so it not only clicks within your head, but then afterwards it might move 12 inches down to your heart and actually take over the kind of person that God is in di- desires for you to be. Okay, so let's say it out loud together. Ready? I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my relationships with others. One more time. I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my relationships with others. Let me break each one of these down. Uh, the first one is thoughtful. Thoughtful means that you think. Thought, think, okay? It means that you think before you speak. A gentle person always thinks before they speak. And I'm not pointing my bony finger at you. This is something, if my mom had a nickel for every time she told me, Randy, just because you think it doesn't mean you should say it. And I have had a mess of things because I just speak before I think. A gentle person is someone who thinks before they speak. A person who lacks gentleness just blurs out whatever's on their mind. And it causes a tremendous amount of damage. The second word is considerate. And the idea here is that you put yourself in the other person's shoes. A gentle person 
considers the life circumstance of the person that they're in a relationship with. As a matter of fact, as a practical form of, of, of application, whenever you're in a conversation, and say the person is kind of coming at you a little bit, they're a little edgy, they're a little frustrated, maybe they're trying to confront you or to blame you or just something's not right, whatever it is, what you do, a gentle person does, a pros person, a mild medicated person says is like... Um, I'm going to listen to what you say, and then before I give any commentary on it, I'm going to say back to you what I think you said to me, and before I move on, I want you to agree with me that I heard you correctly. Even if the person is angry with you, just stop and say, okay, let me see if I can say back to you what I think you're saying to me. Did I get that right? And you keep going after it, not offering your own point of view until the person says, yes, you've heard me. And then you can say, okay, can I speak into that for a moment? A considerate person is a gentle person, and uh, that's, that's important. Now, the last word is calm. Calm refers to the manner by which you say what needs to be said. It refers to the manner or the way in which you deliver it in two ways. Number one, by the level of your voice. Voice! Voice! And also, did you get that? And the other, by your body language. Those two things work together. A person who is biblically gentle has that figured out. For example... Uh, and I'm going to give you an example here that's very tender to me because this is a part of my story as a little boy. It's the number one thing that I've had to work through in counseling. You're married, and you decide to get into an argument. And to win the argument, for some reason, in your mind, you think raising your voice is going to help. So you start yelling. You start yelling. I don't think you understand. You've never been. You've historically been this. And you're yelling, okay? It's not a big deal to you. You're just trying to win the argument because you're full-grown adults. But in the other room, there are little kids. And you are freaking them out. These kids, all they want is a sense of security in life, a sense that they're safe. The number one thing that they want from their parents, no, they don't want to be in sports. They don't want select sports. They don't want a new car. Uh, no, they don't want all that. The number one thing that they want is to know that their mom and dad are unashamedly in love with one another. Because when mom and dad are unashamedly in love with one another, what I get from that is that I am safe and I am secure. But when you go absolutely ape nuts on each other, in my stomach, you've just upset my stomach, and now I feel unsafe. Get that? Mm. Some of you have experienced that. I've had to go to counseling to work that through. It is the number one insecurity of my life. And even though both of my parents have passed away, whenever it emerges, that little box opens back up again. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Let me give you another example. Because the word pros also carries the, uh, another idea besides a medical idea. It actually means a power under control. Power under control. Um, the idea is a wild stallion who is a massive and powerful beyond belief, but wild. 
and their power is just unwieldy. And if you get close to it and it kicks you, you'll die. Gentleness is that wild stallion becoming tamed. And now all of that power which still exists within the horse, it's not weak, it's powerful, has now been channeled according to the will of the master. And that's what gentleness is. So parents, you've got little kids and uh, they're not behaving. And so what you decide to do is you decide that you're going to get this figured out by raising your voice. As soon as you raise your voice, you have lost. Do you know that? You've lost. They realize it, and they go, we got them wrapped around our finger. What you need to do instead with your body language is, say, is to give them the stare. Kids, this is how it's going to be. This is what's going to come down. Under no circumstances, over the next hour, am I going to raise my voice above this. But here's what will happen. If you don't stop doing what you're doing, this is what I am going to do. Got it? Okay. I double-dog dare you to do it again. I'm not upset. I'm kind. I'm fine. And, they, and then when they do it, you have to deliver on the action. What parents do instead is, like, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give you one more time. But I'm going to raise my voice. And you go nuts. And it does not work. Can I get an amen for that? It does not work, okay? So monitor your levels on the basis of how others react of what is comfortable uh, as, as opposed to what's comfortable for you. So we're going to put the definition up again. Say it out loud. This is your second opportunity. Ready? I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my relationships with others. Now what I want to do is I want to put some flesh and bones on this definition by showing how it played itself out in a relationship that David, a main character of the Old Testament, had with a married couple. Okay, The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25, so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25, or you can open the West Side app that will have all the scriptures I'm going to read today, as well as an outline to fill in, to save, and send to yourself. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you the setting of the story. Young David, at the age of 16, was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. However, he will not become or be inaugurated king for 14 more years as God uses that 14 years to test and challenge David to grow him up to be the kind of king Israel needs. During that 14 years, he is a fugitive on the run uh, from the existing king, who is King Saul, who has been disqualified because of his repeated disobedience to the Lord. The Lord is using King Saul to grow and challenge King David, and David is on the run because King Saul is jealous of David's success. David is joined because he is a supernatural leader by 600 warriors who join him while he is a fugitive on the run from Saul. Keep in mind that David is a skilled warrior. He can take you out with a single stone of a slingshot and can take down 10,000 men by himself. David is the Jack Bauer of the Old Testament. When his gentleness is challenged, he can put a licking to you. 
bear that in mind. In verse 1 of chapter 25, there is an announcement of the death of the prophet Samuel. Uh, David had a tender and respected relationship with Samuel because it was Samuel that saw the vision of God in him to be the next king. If you put yourself in David's shoes, David is likely a little distressed. Not only is he a fugitive on the run, but he's just lost this prophet who believed and saw in him what his own dad didn't see in him when the lineup was given on who could be the next potential king. David is already a bit edgy if you encounter him. David is on the run, and he comes to the desert of Maon in a little town called Carmel. This is not Carmel, where Clint Eastwood was mayor, but an ancient city in Israel. In verses 2 and 3, we're introduced to the other characters in the story. Let me read it to you. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So we learn that Nabal is wealthy. He's surly, which means rude, ill-humored, cruel, and he is mean in his dealings with other people. We learn that Abigail, quite the opposite, is beautiful and intelligent. Now, make an observation. This happens all the time. And I ask the question with great honesty, what possesses a beautiful, intelligent woman to marry a doofus like Nabal? You do it, women, all of the time. You do. It's fact. That's exactly what the people in Roseanne and I's hometown said when she married me. Whatever possessed you? So uh, we actually know the answer to this question. Women uh, are on the search for the alpha dog guy. It's true. Men, on the other hand, are, do not want the alpha woman. No. Men want someone who's either parallel with them or below them. Okay? This is actual science, man. This is not, I'm not making this stuff up. Women want the alpha dog, a guy who is young, has a six-pack abs, right? Which, by the way, turns into a keg not too many years later. <laughs> F-Y-N-I. Is either wealthy or shows the promise of wealth. The women want the alpha dog. This is just science because you're wanting somebody who is a leader who can take care of you, right? That's why you go after the alpha dog. This is not only true with humans. This is true of the animal kingdom as well. If you've ever seen deers uh, rutting, uh, this is exactly what is going on, okay? Now, the reality is, is that when you are searching for the alpha dog, you're not careful to peer into that leadership quality that is also somebody who has a character flaw. Oftentimes, alpha dogs have very serious character flaws, and one of them is they lack gentleness, now, in the case of Abigail, I don't believe she was going after the alpha dog because in her culture, it was likely an arranged marriage. She gets a, a pass. You, on the other hand, do not, particularly teenagers. You do not. Don't look for the alpha dog, okay? Look for a guy like me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Okay, verse four, uh, David's first encounter with Nabal. Stay with me here. This is a fascinating story. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to them, Men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. David took 400 men. He could have took 10,000 men out by himself, but he is making a point. Nabal has become a pill that is hard to swallow. He has upset David's stomach, and now David is going to give him a dose of his own medicine. Time to cue the beautiful, intelligent wife. Verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time they were out in the fields near, uh, near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall uh, around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over my, our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Stop there for a moment. A person who lacks gentleness, you know what? No one can get through to you because you are unwilling to be talked to. Mm. The servants tell Abigail in verse 16 that David and his men not only did not make little lamb chops out of their sheep, but they were preventing anyone else from doing so But Nabal isn't putting himself into David's shoes, and he speaks before he thinks. Now he's got the whole family in deep trouble, which is what happens with men and women who lack gentleness. It not only affects them, but it affects everybody around them. Let's keep going, verse 18. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Mm. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met him. David had just said, 
It's been useless. All of my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing was of his was missing, and he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off of her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May the Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool, and folly goes with him. Pause here just for a second. It is true in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament that parents would often give their children's name to project their outcome. Uh, Nabal in the Hebrew means fool. I don't know what was up with the parents, but that's what they named him. I just wanted to put that to a side, and so she calls it out. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. The life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lies of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Oh, she heard the story. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. Now, you probably picked up a couple of things here that the beautiful, intelligent woman is doing to neutralize the situation. I'm going to call out three things. Number one, in verse 23, we note Abigail's body language. She starts off by uh, bowing to the ground with her face to the ground. That's her body language. And I want you to notice as she uses calming words throughout. Did you notice that? Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. Secondly, I want you to notice in verse 29 that she acknowledges that Saul is tracking him down and that this is a very difficult and trying time for David. What is she doing? She is putting herself into David's shoes and empathizing with his current situation. And then three, in verse 30, she, you'll note that she is still challenging David. She tells him that when he becomes king, he will not want on his conscience the needless death of Nabal and all of their household. Well, as you read the story, you learn that what Nabal does, what, what Abigail does, it works. And David decides not to take out Nabal and all of the men And he even at the end thanks Abigail for her conversation with him. Abigail is pros. Abigail is a mild medication 
Her approach is affecting in resolving what ails David without upsetting his stomach. Here's how the story ends. Abigail goes home that day and finds Nabal having a party and he is super drunk and passed out. (laughs) You probably could have saw that coming. She waits until morning to tell Nabal about her conversation with David. When she goes and talks with Nabal, uh, he ends up having a heart attack and he dies right in front of her. You can't make this stuff up, man. This is is what happens. So when David gets word that Abigail, this beautiful woman full of grace, is a widow, he is no dummy. He asks her to marry him. Yeah. In the end, David gets the lamb chops, a clean conscience, and the girl. Isn't that a great story? But I want you to see the power that comes when you are a gentle person. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us this. It's the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Blessed are the pros. Blessed are the gentle. For the whole earth belongs to them. If you can learn gentleness, the ancient word is meek. You think it refers to a person who is weak, but actually pros refers to a person of power who's had that power redirected according to the will of the master. If you can get that down, you will have the whole world belonging to you. And this is what God wants for me and for you. He wants us to be pros. He wants us to be a mild medication. He wants us to be effective in helping the people in our lives without upsetting their stomachs. He wants us to be gentle. Third and final time to put it on the screen, to shout out loud, but keep your voices just a little low. (laughs) Be gentle. Ready? I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my relationships with others. I'd like everybody to stand to their feet here at Lenexa Speedway, even if you're watching online, the posture of standing up. And if you will, I'd like to ask everybody to... um, Close your eyes, because I want to speak to you, but I just want it to be between you and the Lord. I don't want you looking around, because we're going to enter into a time of worship, and I want you to take this thought into this time of worship. In America, amongst believers and even non-believers, This is the number one struggle that most people have. So I am under the assumption that there are many people in the room today who struggle with gentleness. And I want to ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to begin stirring in you to reveal truth. And I want you to whisper to him, I don't want to be a Nabal. I don't want you to ask the Lord, am I a Nabal? Am I upsetting the stomach of the lives of the people around me? And I want you to say to the Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. 
Because here's the reality. And I'm going to invite you, either in the service or after, to go to the people that are closest to you and say, am I a Nabal to you? And here's the deal. If you are, they're not going to tell you because they're afraid of you. But if you'll watch their body language, you'll pick it up. And if you're wise, and if you're passionate, you'll own it. It's time for you and I to stop talking to the people we say we love and treating them that way. It's creating insecurity amongst our children. It's ruining their lives and ours. If you're an Abigail in the room today, I invite you to just talk to the Lord about the situation you're in to give you wisdom and to give you courage. I know you've probably tried on numerous occasions to tell the Nabal in your life, man, you gotta stop treating me this way. But maybe today, because they've shown up and the Spirit is working, maybe today is the breakthrough day. Father, now as we enter into this time of worship, may your Spirit, may your Spirit be free to churn in our lives and reveal to us the kind of life that you want us to live and that it is possible in you. And Father, for those who have not accepted you, it's, it's understandable that they struggle with gentleness. I pray that your spirit on the out, exterior of their life may convict them so that they run to you for salvation. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said...